Well, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. It's page 45, if you've got one of our church Bibles. Page 45. Um, We're going to take about six months to go through this book in the Old Testament. We're going to split it into three parts. There's three really distinct movements as you go through the book of Exodus. And we're going to just spend a bit of time in each one. And we'll be done around the summertime. Uh, You've not read Exodus before, or if you've been with us, maybe not for for too long, and you're wondering why why we are studying a book uh, right in the Old Testament that's over 3,000 years old. Um, Let me just encourage us, the the book of Exodus, it isn't just a history book. It is that. It's historical fact. There's not just evidence in the Bible for that. There's lots of evidence outside of the Bible that will tell you that what we're going to read really happened. Uh, It's not just part of the Bible, so it's not just part of God's story in the Bible. I hope that we'll see over the next few weeks, the next few months, that the story we come across in this book is really our story. The Exodus is our story. The story that we're going to see unveiled in this book, written 3,000 years ago, is the pattern for the story of all of God's people. The Exodus, Exodus literally means, uh, or Moses, sorry, who's the the main character in the Exodus, means to draw out. And that is the story of God's people. It is a story of being drawn out of the brokenness of this world and our sin and being drawn into God's rest. We're drawn out and we're drawn into. And that is a story that is woven into the fabric of all of us as human beings, whether we're Christians or not. We need rest. And we live in a broken world and we struggle with sin. And Hollywood has made millions and millions of pounds out of this story. Like some have been better than others. Um, the, the reproductions that have been made, but they're tapping into a story that resonates with all of us. It resonates with the aches and the longings of the human soul that, that we experience the brokenness of the world and we long to be taken out of it. The Exodus story is our story. Well, at least that is a story that every human being needs to belong to. Now, we should start in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, but we're actually going to go left a bit. So put a finger in Exodus and go all the way to the front of your Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. And we're just going to spend some time there because really the context for Exodus chapter 1, and we're just going to look at a few verses in chapter 1, the context for the whole book of Exodus, and actually for the whole of the Bible, is in Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 1, you read the story of our beginnings, the story of how humanity came to be, the story of how all of creation around us came to be. And I'm not going to read it all, but I just want to walk us through what we see. God comes and he creates. So in chapter 1, we see in day 1, he creates light. And listen to what God says as he looks on what he has created. He saw the light in verse 4, chapter 1, and it was good. In day 2, he makes the heavens, and again, we see that refrain again. God looks on what he has made, and he says that it is good. On day 3, there's the land and the sea and plants, and again, he looks at what he's made, and he says, it is good. On day 4, there's the day and night. Again, he looks, and it is good. On day five, there's the animals, birds, sea creatures. He looks on it again and he says, it is good. 
keeps repeating this refrain of creating and seeing what he has made and saying that it is good. And then we get to verse 27 of chapter 1 and we get to day 6 of God's creation and he says this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and then verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Just hold on to that verse because we're going to see that pop up a little bit later on. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Before we get to the story of the Exodus, we need to understand our beginnings. We need to understand who we are and who is God. Because we're going to be coming face to face with him as we walk through Exodus And really, I want to just spend a bit of time this afternoon grounding us, helping to ground the issue of when we see this God and when we see humanity being able to see God and say, I trust him. I trust him. Because here's what we're going to be confronted with. And here's what all of us are confronted with day after day. As human beings, we are confronted with pain and suffering and loss. We see oppression and injustice all around us. And all of these things, as we engage with them, they demand of us to answer the question, do we trust him? This God created us, do we trust him? And I want to bring us to a place this afternoon to see that we can. I just want to show us five truths that we see in Genesis chapter one here that help us ground the truth, uh, ground this issue of trusting God. And the first truth is this, is that we are created by a God who is good. We are created by a God who is good. Did you hear that repeated refrain? God looked at what he created and he said, it is good. We need to be convinced of that, folks. As we're confronted with all of these things that we'll see in the Exodus story, as we see a God who judges and moves against evil with a heavy hand, we need to be convinced that God is good. We need to be convinced of that today and the suffering and the pain that we experience, that God is good. And the God that we see who does good things and is implicitly good in Genesis chapter one is still good today. Theologians would call this the immutability of God, that his nature doesn't change. It's always the same. If he was good then, he is good now and he always will be good. We need to believe that the God of the Bible is good and all that he does is good. Secondly, we need to see that we're created in the image of God. You saw that in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created him. See, the rhythm of our world, folks, is a rhythm of injustice and oppression. And we're going to see next week as we get past verse 7 of chapter 1 in the Exodus, we're going to see that oppression is the backdrop of the story of the Exodus. We're going to see men and women trample on the dignity and the value of the human image. We'll see that in the Exodus story. And we see that in our world today, don't we? The image of God being trampled on. We see it in grotesque ways like human trafficking, systemic racism, social injustice, genocide, war. And we see it in more subtle ways every time we look in the mirror. And we feel like we don't look like we should look. Or my behavior doesn't conform to the way the world says that I should perform. Notice what God says about what he has made. At the end of creation of humanity on day six, 
In verse 30, he says this. He saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. See, days one to five, it's good. And it is good. Like you look at creation. Don't get me started on the stars and the moon, guys. Like they are good. But not even that, like just go to the tiny, like if, look at an ant. Like if you ever just stopped and just, just spent a few seconds looking at an ant or whatever it is, a cat, a dog, they are incredible. Like cats, I don't know, maybe, let's leave that out there. But animals, just everything that God's created, they are good. Like they are amazing. But then God gets to humanity and he says, oh, we're on another level now here, folks. What I've just made, it is very good. You come in here this afternoon, folks, with any hint that you haven't got value or dignity in this world, that is a lie. You are created in the image of God, and yes, that image is broken and distorted because of sin. But when God looks at you, this is how the Bible says that He looks at His creation it's like a mother who looks on her children with delight. With pleasure, with joy. We need to know that we are created in the image of God and that means that we have inherent dignity, value and worth. Thirdly, we need to know that we are created with a purpose. I wonder if you just thought before, what would the perfect life look like? And I'm sure all of us go to like the desert island with someone bringing us cocktails and just never having to work and having epic lions and that being the perfect life, but actually it isn't. We are created with purpose. In chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis, we see what our purpose is. God blesses Adam and Eve, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue, it's, uh, subdue is like a word of, of power and, and exerting their, their authority over creation. They're given a purpose to take the good image of God and to multiply it, to spread it all the way across the earth, to receive the goodness of God, to live in that goodness and to tell of his goodness as they go. That is the purpose of every human being. It's what the Bible calls worship. The purpose that we have, the inbuilt purpose that we all have as we step into this life is to worship God, is to see his goodness and then to go and spread that goodness and share it with everyone that we can until everyone on this earth has had an opportunity to hear it. We are created with purpose, folks. So if you come in here this afternoon thinking that you are insignificant, thinking that you have no importance, no, no purpose in this world, that's not true. Like, like all of us work and do things with our hands and our time and, and pour our efforts and our resources and energy into things, and they are all probably good things, but they are, they are on a different scale down here compared to the glorious purpose that God has given us all to worship him. Take the glory that he has shown us and to spread that across the world. Folks, we need to know that there is more to life than, than sex, money, gaining power, gaining control. Trying to extract as much happiness out of this life as we can. We're made for more than that. We are made for a glorious purpose. To worship. Here's the fourth truth that we need to help ground this issue of trust in God. It's this, that we are created not just by a God who is good, but by a faithful God. Verse 28, again, God blesses them. 
He gives them a promise of, of being fruitful. And as you read on in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that God makes a promise with humanity. That as long as they walk in obedience to him, he is going to help them flourish. He is going to help them to be fruitful. They are going to live the good life. God makes a promise with Adam and Eve. And the promises of God are all the way through the Bible. Like if we think of, of the, the story of God, the story of the Bible of, of God drawing us out of the darkness of the world and our sin and drawing us into his eternal rest. If that's the, if that's the big story, then God's promises are like the, the episodes or the seasons in that story. Like think of all the Netflix series that you like to watch or whatever it is, like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. There's a big story. Like we know the big story of Harry Potter, right? But there's eight films, there's eight things that you have to work through, eight different seasons, eight different movements that we go through to get from start to end. That's what God's promises are like. There is one story of God drawing us out of the brokenness of of the world and our sin, drawing us into his rest. But his promises are the things that take us through that story. And so you see a promise given to Adam and Eve. A fruitful life. If they walk in obedience... And each of the promises of God that we get as we work through the Bible show us without doubt that he is for us. They show us that he's not going to leave us in our mess. All of the promises of God show us how desperately faithful he is and how desperately unfaithful we are. And every promise of God that we have in his word proves to us that everything he says and everything he does is true. I know a lot of us this afternoon have a cloud over our stories of unfaithfulness. I encourage you to look to a faithful God and see that he will never let you down. He will never speak to you anything that is not true. He has been, he is, and he will be faithful to the end. And here's the final thing that I want is just to help uh, grasp and ground this issue of trust in God and it's this we were created for rest in God's presence you may have read or heard the Genesis story before the, the story of our beginnings and maybe you've, you've heard or you've read or you assume that the pinnacle of creation is humanity and you might think that with what God's just said on day six it is very good but actually the pinnacle of creation is found in day seven in Hebrew literature and, and Hebrew um, kind of understanding, the number seven is a, is a number of perfection. And on day seven, as you get to the end of chapter one and the start of chap- chapter two, you see that God rests. In chapter two, verses one and three, three times Moses, who writes the book of Genesis, says that God saw what he had done and he rested. That's really important. God looks at his works and he rests. Not ours, not Adam and Eve's. He looks at his works and he finds rest. Folks, we are created for rest. That is the pinnacle of creation. That is the goal of creation. It's rest in God's presence. The weariness that we feel from work, which never seems to relent. Why do you think you feel like that? The frustration of life not being what you thought it would be. Why do you think you feel like that? The constant pain of betrayal from our own desires, from relationships around us, from the empty promises of the world. Why do you think you feel like that? The restlessness of money, sex, relationships, holidays, all our stuff never giving us the comfort that that we think that they will. Why do you think that we feel like that? 
We feel exhausted. We feel restless because we were created for more than this. We were created to rest in the presence of a good God. And until we find ourselves there, we will be restless. There is no rest for our weary souls, folks, outside of God. Now, if you still got your finger there, let's move to Exodus chapter 1. Those five truths should help us ground, hopefully. Ground a trust in God. And we're going to need it as we move through this book. But listen to these first few verses in Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Now, if you are inclined to write in your Bibles, which is fine, you're allowed to do that, you could write and before the first word. In the Hebrew um, version of Exodus, as it was originally written, it starts this, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. See, the book of Exodus is a continuation of the book of Genesis. We have a, a little bit of blank paper maybe in between the two books, but actually they were written by and large together. They were to be read together. Exodus is the continuation of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is really a historical account of humanity's movement initially away from Eden. So all of the perfection that we just read in day one, day two, day three, day four, day six, and day seven, we know if you know the Bible, that was all broken, broken by the sin of humanity. And from there up until chapter 12 of Genesis, you see humanity moving away from the garden, moving away from the presence of God. But then in the middle of the book, in chapter 12, you get a turning point. God comes to a man called Abraham. And here's the third promise, actually, that God makes so far in the Bible. The second is with Noah. And here's the third. He comes to Abraham, who, by the way, is approaching his 100th birthday. God bless him. And he says this to Abraham. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Old man Abraham, I'm going to give you lots of kids. With your wife Sarah, who by the way, she was approaching 90. Here's what God is saying in this promise. I'm going to do the impossible. Even though humanity have broken our relationship and you've been moving away from my presence, I've not forgotten the promise that I made with you. I've not forgotten the purpose that I've given you. To be my people, to multiply, to flourish, to fill the earth. And I'm going to do it through you. And he gets him to look up at the sky and to see the stars. And he says, Abraham, as many stars as you can see, that's how many your offspring are going to be. And Abraham's like, really? Sarah laughs like she thinks it's hilarious. I don't think so. But sure enough, Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac, whose name was Laughter. Isaac has a child called Jacob, who's also called Israel. Jacob has 12 sons. The 12 sons that we hear written right at the start of Exodus. Why is Moses writing these names right at the start of Exodus? To show us the faithfulness of God. To show us that God hasn't given up on his people. 
It shows that God is a God of promises. That even though we will bust it up, even though we will be unfaithful to God, he will never be unfaithful to us. He is a good and faithful God. And Moses is saying, look, look what he's done. From one man who was 100 years old and his wife who was 90 years old, here is a God of promise. And they've landed in Egypt. Moses mentions that Joseph was already there. We probably know the story of Joseph. He, he comes to Egypt and uh, he's enslaved and then he becomes powerful and all of his family come to join him. And then look at verse 7 and see if you can hear any of the similar words that we've heard already. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. You just put them both up there, Karis. We've got Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You see what Moses is doing here? Exactly the same thing. God says to humanity in the garden, be fruitful, multiply, multiply, fill and subdue. And again, we see the fulfillment of, of that call, that purpose to humanity right at the start of Exodus. Here they are being fruitful, multiplying, being strong and filling the earth. Here we have God's people, his image bearers, living out God's purpose. God who is faithful, who has continued to be faithful and good. See, what we find in Exodus chapter 1 verse 7, folks, is, is an echo of Eden. It looks like they're almost back. Except... They're not in God's presence. Four out of the five truths they may have grasped, but they are not in God's presence and they are not in a place of rest. They're in a real place. Moses tells us twice where they are. They're in Egypt. Now, Egypt now is a lovely country. You can go there on holiday. It's a beautiful place to go. But whenever you read Egypt in the Bible, Egypt is a catchword for injustice, for oppression, for the darkness of sin, both at a global and an individual scale. And that is where we find God's people. We're going to see next week they are in the complete opposite place of rest. What comes next in the story, actually, folks, you'll probably know it if you've read the story before. It won't surprise us at all because we all feel it. The inevitable outcome of living outside of the presence of God is fear, restlessness, and exhaustion. And that's where we're going to find them next week as we move on in the passage. But God never leaves us without hope. What we're going to see in verse 8 as we move on next week is God is going to launch a rescue that will draw his people out of their darkness into his presence ultimately where they will find rest for all eternity. And, and don't read this wrong. These are not people who've deserved it. These are not people who have stumbled upon the grace of God and taken hold of it. These are not people who have worked and proven themselves to be worthy of God, saving them from their darkness and from their sin. They are not worthy of the rest that God is going to bring to them. Rest in the presence of God, folks, is a gift of God to undeserving sinners. I wonder if um, any of you have heard the illustration of what, what it looks like for God to save sinners. And it goes a little bit like this. Um, we're out at sea 
and we start struggling in the sea and we start swallowing water and we're drowning. And salvation is like God seeing us drowning, seeing us in our mess and him throwing out a lifeline. Have you heard that, anyone? And we take hold of the lifeline and God draws us out of danger. Like I grew up on that. That was an illustration that I heard so often. See, the problem is with that picture is our situation outside of God is far more desperate. We aren't drowning, folks. The Bible says outside of God, we are spiritually dead. We can't hold out our hand to anything. We have no hope. It's as if we have waded into the seas of life. And in our pride and in our arrogance and in our, in our own strengths, we think we, think we, can, we, can, make so, we can make something out of this life. We can, find, we can save ourselves. We, we don't need God. And we wade out into the deep waters thinking that we can fix things ourselves, thinking that we can save things ourselves. And all the while, the waves of our sin are crashing over us. The waves of the brokenness of the world are coming all over us. And they take us under the water. And we take on water. And we die. In fact, that's how we come into this world. Spiritually dead. It's not that we're drowning, folks. We are floating on the water, lifeless, in a sea of disgrace from our own sin and devastation from the brokenness of the world. And we have no strength in and of ourselves to hold on to God. We're spiritually dead. But God never leaves us without hope. See, Jesus comes down and enters the dark waters with us. And he fixes us to a line that draws us out of death. And he draws us out of the dark waters of our sin into a beautiful life of rest with God. Here's the incredible thing. Jesus stays. He stays in the dark waters of our sin and he dies for us. We deserve to be there. It was our sin that placed us under the judgment of death. But our good God Jesus, in his love for creation, takes our death for us. Jesus comes and lives the perfect life and he is flogged and he's beaten, and he's nailed to a cross. And as as he hangs in agony and experiences the terror of hell and abandonment from the Father, the waves of our sin overwhelm him. And he dies. But God never leaves us without hope. See, ultimately, our hope is not only found in Jesus' death for our sin, in his resurrection for our life. God draws us out of our sin and the brokenness of this world. He draws us out of our spiritual death, but he also draws us into a life of eternal rest with him. In Jesus' resurrection, he takes our lifeless souls, which have been filled with the waters of our sin, and he breathes his life into them by his spirit. And it's his breath that fills us, his life that fills us. It's his spirit that fills us. And his is a life that hates sin and loves God. It's a life that hates injustice and loves peace. It's a life that is lived right now in the restful presence of God. And that is what we are waiting for now. See, even those of us who are Christians, 
those of us who have been saved, this life will continue to be hard. We live in a world that is broken and we still fight against sin. But Jesus is bringing his people home. He is drawing us out and he is drawing us in. And listen, the home that we wait for is even better than Eden. Listen to this from Revelation chapter 21. The Apostle John, we started with the beginnings and we're going to finish with the ends. In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John has a vision of what rest will look like. What is home going to be for those who are saved? What is it that we're longing for? What is it that we're waiting for? And this is what he sees. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away see as good as Eden was it wasn't complete there was an unfinished purpose God's people multiplying across the world his glory extending achieving the unending eternal rest that he promised in a place that was completely secure from the devil, the place that we call home that we are heading towards. And that place, folks, is a place where all of the tears from our shame will be wiped away. And all the tears from our grief will be wiped away. And all the tears from the anguish of weariness will be wiped away. And there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more shame, no more weary souls, just eternal rest in the presence of our good and faithful God. There is no rest for our weary souls outside of God, folks. But God never leaves us without hope and he has made a way for our rescue and he is bringing us home. And as we wait for home, know this we don't wait alone this is fastly becoming one of our favorite verses of the year matthew 11 verse 20 to 29 as we wait to go home and wait to be brought into our eternal rest we hold on to this promise from jesus come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and i will give you Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am humble and gentle of heart. And I will give rest for your souls. Jesus is drawing his people out and drawing us in. And we're not there yet. But for those who are united to Christ, we get to taste. By the power of his spirit, taste his rest. So brothers and sisters in Christ... This week as we go out and we feel the weariness that we feel as we contend against our sin, our flesh and the world, 
I encourage you, don't, don't run to the things of the world. Come to Jesus. See his love in coming to meet you in your mess and there find rest. See his suffering in your place for your sin and there find rest. See his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins and there find rest. See him declare in his death over your salvation, it is finished and there find rest. See his power in his resurrection to crush all of your enemies and there find rest. See his kindness in giving you his spirit and there find rest. And see his promise to bring you home and there find rest. There is no rest for our weary souls outside of God, but God has not left us without hope. Jesus has come to draw us out of our weariness in this world and into his eternal rest. So come to him. Let's pray. Father, you have been so good to us. That is who you are. That is your nature. Sometimes we struggle to see it in the pain of this world as we battle against sin, as we are exhausted. We struggle to see your goodness, so help us to believe. Every day of our lives, you have been faithful. You will continue to be. Father, we know that so often we are unfaithful and we, we chase after the things of this, this world, the aren't good for us and we fall into temptation and we neglect to walk in your ways we thank you father that that you still remain faithful father help us to see who you've created us to be help us to see that we have been created in your image help us to see that you've given us a glorious purpose father some of us need to hear that this afternoon that we because we're created in your image we have value we have worth Help us to stop listening to the lies of the world that tell us that life is found outside of you. Father, we battle against the idols of this world. We battle against our own flesh. We battle against the devil. And it exhausts us. And we long for the rest that we've been created for. We thank you for your son who has come to draw us out. To draw us in. And so this week more than anyone else, help us to come to him, Father. And as we do, Jesus, we pray that you would give us rest. Help us hold on to your promises. Help us to trust your finished work for us. Help us to believe your word and to lean on your spirit and give us rest. Father, we pray these things in your name and for your glory.